Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, listeners. This is Anusha Battersby of the Magnus Protocol, letting you know about the latest Rusty Quillivisional podcast on Neon Inkwell, The Pit Below Paradise. The Pit Below Paradise is a US coming-of-age tale set years in the future, in the ruins of a burnt world. Small communities struggle in the ashes, and in Paradise Village, Dorian is set to sacrifice himself for the hope of a better tomorrow. At least, that's what he thought. But when the date of prophecy is pulled into question, Dorian's whole world is turned on its side. Forced to attend college to keep up appearances, Dorian meets Will, a former gravedigger with no reason to suspect his vibrant new roommate might soon be facing death, and Ruth, a returned runaway trying to make peace with the past. As Dory only just starts to learn about herself, she is forced to choose whether she still believes everything she was told growing up, or whether she wants to place her trust in a wider, more daunting world that she's only just come to know. The Pit Below Paradise is available now on Neon Inkwell, our ongoing home for full cast fiction podcasts, written by creators from all around the world. Just search Neon Inkwell wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, we are here to talk to you about Sucre Bay, a perfumery we love so much they have not one but two official The Magnus Archives perfumes, one inspired by John and Martin and another inspired by the mysterious Ex Altiora, a book from the library of Jürgen Leitner. Sucre Bay also make official perfumes for our friends over at Old Gods of Appalachia, including Blood and Bone and Unknown Roads. You should check them out. Sucre Bay is a women-owned and operated perfumery that is vegan and cruelty-free, witchy and sometimes irreverent. Expect perfumes like You're in a Cult, Call Your Dad, or Vodka and Swearing, the ever-popular Chloroform, or Papa's Waffles. Sucre Bay do a range of exciting and unique fragrances you won't find anywhere else. They broadly fit into the following five categories. Classic scents that pass the test of time. Goth scents for those who like it dark and mysterious. Witchy scents that are mysterious and potiony. Nerdy scents for all the self-professed nerds out there. And femme scents, the classically floral and sweet scents, but we recommend them for anyone of any gender. Sucre Bay small batch perfumes are not like any other. You can find out more by going to www.rustyquill.com forward slash perfume. That's rustyquill.com forward slash P-E-R-F-U-M-E. 
Also, you can join the supportive and kind Sucre Bay community with over 18,000 members on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Sucre Bay. That's S-U-C-R-E-A-B-E-I-L-L-E. Tower by Jennifer Hunt Read by Faye Roberts We have all walked ghost towns before, so we do not speak of fear. Not when we first set foot on the site, or when a gust of wind leaves Rosa chasing after something that isn't there. Or when we find deep scratches on the hard cases that hold our equipment. We are professionals in a field of death and resurrection, and it it ill becomes us to jump at shadows. We still notice them, though. When I climb back into the shuttle on the second morning to carry out my own haunting protocols, I can see from the computer logs that I'm the last of us to do them. The first access, anonymous, for all the good it does in a team of three, had been barely after we'd landed. Tanner, I guess, simply because he's younger. More susceptible to atmosphere. The site has that in spades, had done even before we'd started digging, when it had just been a handful of anomalous spines curving out of the earth like the discarded carcass of a beast. Revealed by the latest spate of storms, Rosa reckoned, after centuries below ground. The computer takes its samples, blood, air, soil, and I remain still while it scans my brain. It considers for a while, and I do what I can to reassure myself that what had brought me there was nothing. Mirage is common in the wastes, after all. I've seen pools of water that shimmer off into heat haze once the angle changes. A scrap of cloth wouldn't be so very different. Could even have been real. Torn off something, except that the way it had billowed hadn't seemed to fit with the shape of the breeze. But easily imagined, surely? A ping and the computer decrees all to be well. I read slowly through the more detailed results, anticipating with each sentence a reassurance that doesn't come. Once the words run out, I spend a minute poking around the shuttle, but there's precious little to inventory with all our equipment at work, and the door of the cupboard where Rosa keeps her puzzle books is stuck. There's no choice but to climb back outside within sight of the tower. According to the scans we had taken when we arrived, it goes deep. A great sea urchin spire, the spikes jutting out and skyward from its length as far down as we could detect. What we've been able to unearth so far is just a fraction, mud-encrusted and swarmed over by a static haze of excavator bots. Maybe it's that movement, or the strange smoothness of the visible places where the uppermost spines connect to the tower, but... (laughs) The whole thing looks to be almost organic, and I can't force down a marrow-deep certainty that once we get down far enough to find an entrance... It won't be built for the kinds of physical forms that we would recognise. The others are focused on their tasks, shoulders hunched and jaws set. Tanner watches the outputs from the camera drones flying overhead, jacket wrapped a little too closely around him. Rosa has the scanners set up again, studying them over a bowl of rehydrated soup that has long since ceased to steam. I scuff my way over to Rosa, intentionally audible, and she makes a visible effort to relax, pointing to something on her screen. 
The display is pockmarked with errors, the result of trying to push the sensors to see deeper than they were meant to, but between the empty sections I can make out the phantom shapes of other buildings, deep and distant and riddled with spines. Looks like there's a whole city down there, she tells me. The excitement in her voice feels carefully calibrated. Uh, Intact, I think. That would make this the find of the decade. The century, maybe. Names on plaque significant, but more than that, the opportunity to learn more about those who had come before us is... invaluable. Not something that we can afford to mess up. I attempt an appropriate smile and ignore the movement in my peripheral vision that is too far out from the tower to be one of the robots. An afterimage of the scanner screen, perhaps, one of those flickering glitches sticking over my retinas. I blink, and it goes. I'm saved from having to respond properly by Tanner's voice. He calls us almost hoarse with excitement. I straighten up, but before I can move, there's another flurry of wind, and from somewhere over our heads there sounds a long note. Shuddering and shifting into a low, sonorous tune. It holds long enough and loud enough for me to know I'm not imagining it. Rosa goes still, and Tanner can't quell a shiver. I rub a hand across the back of my neck as the noise fades, or perhaps just edges out of my hearing range, trying to flatten the hairs and make myself stride over to him. What was that? I think... I think it was the spines? Tanner tears himself away from staring at them, his expression alight. I wanted to show you. I found an opening with one of the drones. It seems like they're hollow. Maybe the wind catches in them? Like a flute? He fidgets at his tablet, anxious to be accompanied in his theorising, but when he angles it towards me, the drone's footage is pitching too much for me to make anything out of it. Do you think this whole place could be an instrument? Keep the speculation until we've uncovered more of the structure, I tell him, and he swallows, pushes himself back towards the desperately professional man I'd met a few days previously. For all we know, it could be accidental. Of course, he says, but he can't stop the excitement seeping through the syllables. Sorry, it was beautiful. Beautiful. Alien. Singing in a language that no one remembers anymore. Keep working, I tell him shortly, and I turn, pacing back towards Rosa. What do you think? Probably something ritual? Rosa says and raises an eyebrow at me. We can't hope to know, that means, and she's right, of course. I should keep working too, find something to do with my hands and use that to forget that this sounds like exactly the kind of thing that we've all heard stories about. Slots in neatly alongside tombs that should have stayed closed, angry and unquiet spirits, expedition members who had turned on their fellows and torn them to pieces. Curses trailing, inexorable and lethal in the shuttle vapours, following their marked back to civilization. 
Stories that are, I remind myself, as patchwork and distant as the ramshackle explanations we construct for the remnants of people we have never met. No one in them ever has names. They always happen to someone five steps removed, untraceable and mythic. They, and the idea of fleeing that I feel in my chest like a second heartbeat, are nothing but superstition and disquiet in a strange setting. I watch my feet all the way over to the edge of the spoil heap and begin to sift through the mound of earth a little at a time in case of artefacts. When the wind picks up and up, I dull the melody of the spines with a sensation of dirt beneath my fingernails, weighing rocks in my hands to stop myself from following any of the tattered motions at the edges of my vision. It's good work, clean work, and I can keep at it until the low music of the breeze across the tower is cut by a thud and wheeze of machinery that forces me to look up. One of the camera drones is spiralling, careening far too close to the nearest of the spines, a scar marked into the earth still clinging to the structure that corresponds to the size of its rotor blades. The autopilot kicks in a moment later, levelling it out, and then it buzzes up to join its fellows in slow, documenting orbit around the tower, the hand at its controls gone. I hold a blink longer than I need to, and then stand, letting my tray spill back into the heap. I collect Rosa from the scanners with a touch at her shoulder and the two of us circle around the edge of the slowly deepening pit that holds the tower until she shouts for us to stop. Tanner is halfway down the slope. The wound in his throat has left dark smears across the earth, marking out where he had fallen from. His eyes are blank, holding only the jagged reflections of the spines, and his mouth is wide as if he were trying to call out. His tablet has been caught by one of the excavators, which carries it away towards the spoil heap. Rosa says something, but I can't hear it over the lilting, still-rising song of the tower. By the time that we've managed to get Tana out of the pit and into the shuttle's cold storage, the wind has grown sharp enough to cut at our skin, more of a gale than a breeze, and the music has risen into a wild, howling symphony that rings almost painfully in my head. The message that I try to send back to the company finds nothing but snow and the occasional shuddering ghost of a menu screen that won't hold long enough to properly interface no matter how many times I deliver percussive maintenance. Hannah would have known how to boost the signal. Rosa might, but... But I find her still and staring at the tower, even as the wind drags her clothes this way and that, her expression empty. And I cannot ask her. Maybe, she says, so quiet amidst the raging of the weather that I would not have heard her if I hadn't been within inches. We should rebury it can't stop a startled glance and she rushes on before I can say anything the storm is only going to get worse she says justifications and excuses tumbling out of her it could damage the structures we should rebury the tower until we can come back with more people M more equipment set up proper protections from the weather it's not honest or logical the tower was built to stand in storms to sing in them 
There's nothing in wind or rain that it shouldn't be able to withstand. Of course, I say. It's not the tower that she wants to bury. It's the sightings. Those thoughts we tried so hard to believe irrational. Tanner's death and whatever had killed him. As if those metres of soil could be enough to content what we have disturbed. The excavators are not built to turn around and undo all their work so abruptly. I have to type in my admin password so many times that my fingers start to ache, but... We get there. We watch them work, a slow trail between the spoil heap and the site until we're bent double against each other, having to take adjusting steps to avoid being hurled into the slowly diminishing pit ourselves by the lash of wind and rain. Eventually, we retreat to the shuttle, lock the doors behind us and try not to hear the storm outside. The hours pass and we huddle apart, listening to the excavators work and work until the spines finally stop screaming. Rosa lets out a long breath and slumps into one of the walls. She sleeps not long after. I can't. Every now and again the wind catches at our windows in such a way that it sounds almost like that same unnatural screeching and I have to smooth over again the jagged belief that the tower has broken again and clawed itself out of the earth to come for us. I again begin to take pitiful inventory, and then still, as the storm lulls for just long enough for me to hear a faint tapping from my left. The cupboard door where Rosa's puzzles live isn't stuck anymore. Instead, it flaps loose and gentle in the draught. I crouch there, and when I open it, threads of fabric spin away from my fingers almost faster than I can flinch away from them. They settle again, inanimate, but the metal walls of the space are deeply gouged, the tattered remnants of books fluttering about the bottom. It had been in there. What I had glimpsed tried so hard to ignore. The thing that had killed Tanner. Never in the tower, never in the buried city. It must know as little of all that as we do. On some ancient thing to be appeased, we had brought it with us. We are not saved. Something tattered and billowing moves past the viewport, wind-whipped and sharp, and the thin walls of the shuttle begin to scream. This episode is distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. For more information, visit RustyQuill.com. Tweet us at the Rusty Quill, visit us on Facebook, or email us at mail at rustyquill.com. Thanks for listening. Hi, we are here to talk to you about Sucre Bay. 
a perfumery we love so much, they have not one, but two official The Magnus Archives perfumes, one inspired by John and Martin, and another inspired by the mysterious Ex Altiora, a book from the library of Jürgen Leitner. Sucre Bay also make official perfumes for our friends over at Old Gods of Appalachia, including Blood and Bone and Unknown Roads. You should check them out. Sucre Bay is a women-owned and operated perfumery that is vegan and cruelty-free, witchy and sometimes irreverent. Expect perfumes like You're in a Cult, Call Your Dad, or Vodka and Swearing, the ever-popular Chloroform, or Papa's Waffles. Sucre Bay do a range of exciting and unique fragrances you won't find anywhere else. They broadly fit into the following five categories. Classic scents that pass the test of time. Goth scents for those who like it dark and mysterious. Witchy scents that are mysterious and potiony. Nerdy scents for all the self-professed nerds out there. And femme scents, the classically floral and sweet scents, but we recommend them for anyone of any gender. Sucre Bay small batch perfumes are not like any other. You can find out more by going to www.rustyquill.com forward slash perfume. That's rustyquill.com forward slash P-E-R-F-U-M-E. Also, you can join the supportive and kind Sucre Bay community with over 18,000 members on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Sucre Bay. That's S-U-C-R-E-A-B-E-I-L-L-E. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello listeners, this is Anusha Battersby of the Magnus Protocol, letting you know about the latest Rusty Quill original podcast on Neon Inkwell, The Pit Below Paradise. The Pit Below Paradise is a US coming-of-age tale set years in the future, in the ruins of a burnt world. Small communities struggle in the ashes, and in Paradise Village, Dorian is set to sacrifice himself for the hope of a better tomorrow. At least, that's what he thought. But when the date of prophecy is pulled into question, Dorian's whole world is turned on its side. Forced to attend college to keep up appearances, Dorian meets Will, a former gravedigger with no reason to suspect his vibrant new roommate might soon be facing death, and Ruth, a returned runaway trying to make peace with the past. As Dory only just starts to learn about herself, she is forced to choose whether she still believes everything she was told growing up, or whether she wants to place her trust in a wider, more daunting world that she's only just come to know. The Pit Below Paradise is available now on Neon Inkwell, our ongoing home for full cast fiction podcasts, written by creators from all around the world. Just search Neon Inkwell wherever you get your podcasts.